report a shot fired at officers trying to stop the vehicle. We have uh, one officer shot. We got shots fired. Satellite automatic firearm. Copy, covered. Shots fired. We have an active shooter. We have an active shooter inside the fairground. Now it's Shots Fired with your host, T.J. Kurgan, Dinah Death Milberg, and the lovely Crystal Powers. Good afternoon, Missouri and Illinois and all those listening. I uh, was just trying to take my glasses off of my head and got them hooked on my, my headset. That's no way to start your radio show. I'm in here all by myself today by, because everybody else has real jobs and uh, I'm the only one that can goof off from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock with you every day. I'm uh, TJ Kurgan, your local warlord, and uh, I own a company called Tactical SHT, well, it's SH asterisk T, in St. Peter's. There really is a vowel there, but I'm not allowed to say it. It's one of the seven dirty words, according to the FCC. And the FCC is just another acronym of the federal government that enforces all kinds of stupid rules and unconstitutional laws, like the ATF and the DEA and the FBI and whatnot. Just ask the Trumps. Anyway, we have some good news today in the fight against tyranny and the fight against, to, well, the fight to protect the Second Amendment. As I told you many times before, the, uh, the Bruin decision is going to be the string that, uh, that we pull that unravels and unfrays all of the anti-gunners and the gun grabbers' hopes and dreams. And uh, small victory today. And some of you might think this is not a victory because it does fly in the face of some, some semblance of common sense. But again, what's constitutional is constitutional. What's unconstitutional is unconstitutional. And what I'm talking about today is the 4473 Form 4473 is the document that you fill out and put your John Hancock on every time you go to buy a firearm from a licensed dealer. In other words, you go in and fill out this form. It's two pages long. You know, it asks you all kinds of questions. You have to check yes or no. You have to put your address, your birth, your height, your weight, your sex, your you know your race. The only thing they don't ask is your religion. I think it's ridiculous that race is still on there. I think that that's you know why do they need to know what color my skin is to allow me to buy a gun? That why is that there? There's a lot of things on there though that you know shouldn't be there. We talked the other day about marijuana, the fact that you can now use it legally with a medical prescription here in Missouri. But if you fill out a 4473, it literally asks you if you currently are a medical user or an illegal user or addicted to marijuana. And if and, and there's only one yes or no for that whole question. So legal medical user, in order to not commit fraud, you have to select yes. If you select no, you are lying on a federal document. You could go to prison for that. That's how serious it is. We think that's ridiculous. It's because of the federal law against marijuana, and it conflicts with the state laws. It needs to be revert. It needs to be taken off of there. That's not the victory today. However, we won't see that victory until they make marijuana legal on a federal level, um, at least for medical use. Hopefully, um, that way we can get that off of there and 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 stop persecuting people just because they choose to smoke marijuana and not allow them to exercise their Second Amendment right, as if being somehow stoned 
and having a gun is going to make you a danger to yourself or others. It's just nuts. I don't even speed when I smoked back in the past when I used to do that. Uh, gotta, I have to clarify that because I haven't smoked in years because I kind of grew out of it. But, uh, you know, bef- I, can't, I, I, I am a federally licensed firearms dealer now, so I don't smoke. I can't smoke because it would, it would jeopardize my license. What I'm talking about today is I'm talking about the, the decision in a Western Texas federal court by Judge David, David Kantz. Uh, this is just today, I believe, possibly late yesterday afternoon, uh, that line 922N is in Nancy on the 4473 is unconstitutional. And uh, therefore, cannot be enforced, and and, and is going to if it if it holds up, you know, and there's no appeals and that sort of thing to higher federal court, uh, then this this will be removed from the 4473. But deemed to be unconstitutional today is the portion of the 4473 that says, "Are you in? Are you currently under indictment for a felony? Are you currently under indictment?" for a felony then there's another line i believe or it might be part of the same line or or have you have you ever been convicted of a felony so essentially if you're under up until now if you're under indictment for a felony you were not legally able to buy a firearm well this came to light when a alleged criminal this guy sounds like a dirtbag um when this alleged criminal um who was uh, arrested for burglary and then indicted for burglary, then failed to appear on his burglary charge. So now he's a bail jumper with an FTA warrant and a burglary warrant. Although it's not really a burglary warrant, it's a failure to appear on the burglary warrant. Because remember, just because he didn't show up in court doesn't mean he's guilty. He has not been convicted of a crime. He's merely charged with a crime and a grand jury convened and and said there's enough evidence to try him all right now getting an indictment according to attorneys is pretty easy in this country matter of fact people make jokes that you know you can indict a, a, a grand jury can indict or would indict or has indicted a ham sandwich matter of fact in the legal brief Published by this judge, David Kantz, he says that grand juries have been known to indict burritos. I guess they they don't eat as many ham sandwiches down in Texas, so they use the burrito reference. So it's really easy to get indicted. In other words, somebody is accusing you of doing something that's felonious, and there is enough evidence to take you to court. But in this country, historically, constitutionally, You are innocent until proven guilty. And that is where the goodness lies in this overturning. So the guy that failed to appear on the burglary charge, then about a year later, still skipping bail, went to a gun store, a pawn shop, I think, and bought a semi-automatic 22 caliber handgun. So he he was then, uh, he was delayed by the Nick system. All right, so the FBI said, huh, something suspicious about this. Um, we're going to delay you. But then, just like always, the Nick system doesn't have the manpower 
or the infrastructure to actually do a background check on this guy to see his active warrants. And so the time limit, I think it's five days, runs out on the delay and the gun shop calls him up and says, hey, you can come pick up your gun. So he goes and gets the gun, but then the NIC system does eventually alert the ATF that this guy needs to be looked into because we didn't catch it. He bought the gun. So they go and they they find him and they arrest him and they now charge him with two counts of uh, federal law violations. Uh, you know, one count for uh, uh, lying on the on the forty four seventy three about uh, being indicted, and another uh, another count for some a very similar charge stating that uh, that he was a pro- not a not a prohibited person. And so after the Bruin decision. Now, this guy got convicted on both counts, okay? So he's probably doing time somewhere. Uh, His attorneys, after the Bruin decision, appealed this, saying that that the decision is unconstitutional based on the Bruin decision. Because the Bruin decision says that all Second Amendment decisions in the courts, all gun control decisions in the courts, need need to basically be looked at as to their exact wording, as to the history of this nation and the tradition of this nation. It's a two-part. History and tradition is one, and wording is two. Or actually, wording comes first, right? So in the Second Amendment, it says nothing about indictment. It says nothing about being a felon. It just says that you know everybody has the right to bear arms, blah, blah, blah. So... However, when this judge then applied history and tradition, they found no history or tradition dating back to 1776 uh, that was established that said that people that were accused of a crime could be prohibited from a constitutional right. They actually compared it to voting. When you're under indictment, you can still vote. It's not until you get convicted that you can't vote. And so under that under that magnifying glass they found it unconstitutional and so this guy actually won even though he's a dirtbag because he's got constitutional rights and Bruin is going to save us all yeah so we're just talking about that decision today there's a couple things I wanted to to, to add to that Um, one of the reasons why Bruin is able to be the overturning and deciding factor is that the fact that they can't prove that this has been something that has been a historic tradition in this nation since its founding by our founding fathers back in the 1700s, right? Most gun laws have evolved over time, uh, specifically in the the last couple hundred years, Um, and this is a perfect example. So originally, there was never... The, the, the courts could find no history whatsoever that anyone was pro- prohibited from owning a firearm if they were accused of a crime. Only after being convicted of a crime uh, was were they not allowed to purchase a firearm. Uh, and that was not so, that is something that can't be traced back to 1776 either, which means that we might actually see that restriction fall in our lifetime. And I completely agree with it. You know, I'm going to throw it in there. As long as it's a nonviolent crime with a gun, you know, without a gun, you know, if you commit 
murder with a gun, rap, robbery with a gun, rape with a gun. Yeah, let's take that that bad guy's rights away. I'm totally cool with that. But if you commit like, you know, you, you, you got caught with, you know, a few too many bags of weed or, you know, you got some white collar crime or something, you know, to take your Second Amendment right away, I think is ridiculous. And so we could see that fall because of you know, the Bruin decision and this historic tradition application to the to the process. So it was Congress not that long ago that said, if you committed a violent crime with a firearm, you lost your Second Amendment rights. Then Congress, years later, amended that to say, and that was at the federal court level only, okay? Then they amended it to say, any crime... Any felony indictment at the federal level and you lose your Second Amendment rights. And then, boom, just like they always do, they made another amendment to it. This time, most recently, they changed it to any crime, any court. So it doesn't matter if you're under indictment for a federal felony or for some, you know, third degree municipal state Rismo felony, you know, like you, you didn't you didn't cut your grass enough times and you got some sort of felony. So now you can't have a gun anymore uh, and you've been accused of it. They haven't even convicted you yet. I'm just kidding. I don't think you could actually get a felony by not cutting your grass, but you never know. It's just an example. So the court did its due diligence. It did historical research. It compared it to other things like voting and it made the right decision. Even though the guy's a dirtbag, and he's probably guilty as, as, as hell of burglary, and, and he needs to be locked up, you know, he's going to at least get out of the indictment and the, and the felony charges from the federal government because they are unconstitutional. And that is why we have a constitution. The constitution protects you, it protects me, and it protects the dirtbags too. Speaking of dirtbags, what do you guys think it's going to be like in Illinois in January when the purge law goes into effect and they no longer require cash bail for things like murder two, rape, kidnapping, aggravated assault, stalking, trespass, criminal trespass. Burglary. They call it the purge law. It's been put into effect now in several um, several liberal SH asterisk T holes as part of their own Stalinistic self-destructions move to socialism. I'm not exactly sure what part of the transition to communism requires absolute chaos. But, you know, I've never really been interested in being a communist, so I've never studied it enough. I probably need to look into that. But anyway, in Illinois, unless they repeal that decision, it's going to happen. You know, if you live in Illinois, gun laws be damned. You better arm yourself. You better get training. You better, well, I mean, honestly, just move out. Move to Missouri. We're still free over here. We still have laws that are that are enforced. We still have good law enforcement agencies that do their job, at least outside of the city. And uh, convictions in this state typically hold. 
But in Illinois, not the case. It's going to be, you know, you thought East St. Louis was bad before. Have you ever driven from like Edwardsville or Belleville or, you know, O'Fallon, Illinois? Maybe you're over there for the racetrack and Google Maps takes you the wrong, you know, takes you the short way to get back to the city. (laughs) Google Maps should have like an avoid the ghetto button because... You know, it takes you through what is currently and has been since, like, I don't know, the 60s, an absolute desolate, desolate, crime-ridden, barren, vile place. And now, the entire Illinois, the entire state, even in beautiful places like Marion and Carbondale, Springfield, Peoria, it's all going to look like that. It's all going to have that level of crime and no level whatsoever of law enforcement. You know, they're going to come after you for having a gun and no FOID card, but they're not going to go after the guy that just murder whacked somebody in a, in a fit of passion or road rage because it's, oh, it's only murder too. We'll just write him a ticket and let him go. Get him a court date. That's coming. That's coming to Illinois. It's coming to other states around us, and uh, the future is uncertain. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about today was, as a non-prepper, right, prepper has gotten a, such a negative connotation over the years, you know, they automatically tie the word prepper with paranoia, you know, and I think that we should all be prepared for all kinds of bad things, all kinds of contingency plans. I don't think you should be paranoid, but I think you should prepare. I don't think you should be scared about the future. I think you should be confident in your future. I don't think you should worry. I think you should plan for the worse and hope for the best. And that's what we'll talk about in the next segment, is how to be prepared, but not scared. All right, so we uh, left off the last segment talking about getting ready. Ready to react to what the world throws at us in the near future, or even the not-so-near future. You know, preparing doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be you know, completely ready for whatever comes tomorrow. Although if you're not, you're not, you know, you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball. Um, am I a prepper? No. You know, do I have enough food at my house to survive for months? No. You know, do I have chickens? No. Do I have enough ammo? Yeah. <laughs> so in certain places, uh, I've excelled at being prepared while in other places, I'm probably woefully inadequate. And I wanted to explore some of those things today. You know, um, as a guy that sells the things that people buy or you don't have to buy everything to prepare, but, you know, that's how I make money is I sell things. And so I sell the things, you know, our slogan is have the right SH asterisk T when the when when the SH asterisk T hits the fan. It's actually the backwards. I've never said it with the asterisk in it. Ha- when the when the SHT hits the fan, have the right SHT, right? That is our slogan. And so today I'd like to talk about what is the right SHT? What 
do you need to be prepared but not scared, prepared but not paranoid? Um, and, you know, especially today in a, in a world where inflation is crushing all of us, um, you know, what can you do with a budget, within a budget, w- within what little budget you have left? And so I want to talk about some of the scenarios that we, that we face in the world that we live in. So in all too recent history, we've seen unrest. And don't kid yourself that that is somehow not coming back. Unrest will come back the moment the, the left loses control of this government. If they lose the House, if they lose the Senate during the midterms, if they, unsuccess- if they are unsuccessful in stealing this election, you will see suddenly unrest. It might not be immediate, but I guarantee you something will happen. And they will make a big deal out of it somewhere, and it and then they will fund riots. Most likely in places where criminal laws won't be enforced, like Chicago, Illinois, all of it, L.A., New York, right? We're already seeing unrest all over the world that is not being reported on in this country. You're being shielded from it. I don't know, have you seen any news today about Iran? They are rioting in the streets of Tehran right now. They are setting police officers on fire. Not in their police car, like literally pouring gasoline on human beings, lighting them and watching them run around like a burning chicken. Kicking them down on the ground and pummeling them to death. Flipping over police cars. Burning police cars. Uh... You might be seeing the beginning of a revolution in Iran. Some people think that's a good thing for us. It, you know what? The people rising up against the tyranny in this world, no matter where it's at, is always a good thing. Doesn't always end up that way in the end. But unrest is definitely something that we face as a potential threat in the future. We've seen it. We are the home to the beginning of it. We are the origin Yeah, I mean, you could trace it back to L.A. during the Rodney King riots. But really, this modern-day riot campaign philosophy is, you know, from George Soros and, and Obama and Ferguson right in our own backyard. We all lived through it. We all saw it. And then it was applied over and over and over again very successfully with George Floyd and other other dirtbags that are shot and killed when they or maybe when they shouldn't be or choked to death when they shouldn't be you know when law enforcement makes a mistake but yet since the left has been in office we haven't seen any of that we still see cops accidentally killing young black men in in like extreme fashion just a couple weeks ago a couple months ago there was one where like i don't know seven cops shot a guy 90 times or something like that black unarmed man where were the riots They weren't funded. Nobody paid the money for them. Nobody got the buses. Nobody paid the rioters. That's what you need to create the civil unrest. And so if we see a situation where the balance of power changes, you're going to see unrest again. So what do you need to be prepared for in unrest? Well, if you work in an area or you have to travel through an area where possible unrest is or will be, 
you know, these are the things that I think you should have. I think you should have body armor in case you get stranded or trapped in your car or whatever. I think everybody, you know, I've been selling body armor to people in St. Louis ever since Ferguson. We have rolling gun battles in St. Louis on Highway 40 on a regular basis. People, you know, there's been shooters on overpasses before shooting into park traffic. So if you find yourself in an active shooting situation or unrest, it's good to have a set of body armor in the trunk. You don't need to wear it or, you know, wear it when you're at the range and play G.I. Joe, but having a set of body armor for you and your family can save lives. You know, body armor is not an end-all, be-all, life-saving device, but it definitely helps. What else do you need? You need a tourniquet or a medical kit, what we call a blowout kit, something that can stop hemorrhaging, stop bleeding in case somebody is cut, stabbed, poked, shot, or whatever it, during unrest or during you know, some, sort of, some sort of problem, active shooter, whatever. Um, tourniquets are cheap. They fit in your pocket. You should have one in your car. You should have one in your truck glove box. You should have one in your toolbox. You should have one in your tackle box. You know what? Because some of the fish I catch can kill me if they accidentally get an artery with their teeth or potentially a fin or something, depending on what you fish for. So so we got body armor, we got tourniquet. <clears throat> you know, obviously we talk about firearms. You should have a firearm and you should carry it everywhere, every day. If you leave it in your vehicle for whatever reason, it should be secured. So now you need a now you need some sort of locking device in your vehicle to have that firearm. You should have training. Training is part of prepping. Training is part of being prepared, not paranoid. Training is part of being ready, not, you know, so that so that when it hits the fan, you can react properly because you've given yourself the proper doses of the fear. What's the word I'm looking for? The 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 fear vaccine. That's what training is, fear vaccine. By introducing stress as a stimulus by people who have been there, done that, war fighters, law enforcement officers, guys that fight in a ring. You get training from those guys so that they could create those little stressors so that when the real stress happens, your body knows how to react. Your mind knows how to react. You could distance yourself from the event and you can act and react without panicking. And everybody knows that by acting without panicking, you could be scared to death. But if you could control that panic, you could survive and you could protect those around you. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's merely controlling the fear and doing what needs to be done. So we've talked about <clears throat> we've talked about body armor, weapons, tourniquets and medical kits and proper training. You should also have a communication strategy with your family. You know, if something bad happens where you're at, does your does your family have a way to communicate and a place to fall back to? Do they have a plan? You know, if, if something like this happens, we all meet here. We all meet at the farmhouse. We all meet at the, at the house. We all meet at the condo, what, wherever that place is to fall back. Pandemics, we've seen that. How do you prepare for a pandemic? Because there's going to be more of them. I'm surprised, honestly, that they just said that the pandemic was over before the midterms, because how are they going to do the illegal 
you know, mail-in voting BS without having a pandemic. Maybe they'll start another one between now and then. <clears throat> but we already know, they've already told us, there's going to be another one. Being prepared for a pandemic, we've already learned, that's different. You can't shoot your way out of a pandemic. You got to be prepared by basically being able to fall back to your home in case you're forced to shelter in place. In other words, forced to be a prisoner in your own home. You know, you need to have the things in your home, at least a supply of them, to be able to survive 30 days without, without leaving. Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure you did during the pandemic, you know. You know, how much meat do you need for you and your family to live 30 days? How much fresh water do you need? You know, maybe the disaster is not a pandemic. Maybe it's it's a waterborne problem in the town that you live, and now your tap water is no good anymore. You know, so you rush to the store to buy the bottled water, but somebody's already bought it all because of the panic. What are you, you going to do for water? Me, personally, I'm okay in that regard. I don't need to stockpile five-gallon jugs of water because, very simply, I have a well that's 800 feet below my house, and I've got a natural spring in the creek behind my property. So I'm good. That's my fallback to place, and it has plenty of water. As far as food, though, you know, do you have enough food to survive three days? Five days, two weeks, a month. I would highly recommend that you think about that. And that in case you don't, you know, there are some things. There's a company called ReadyWise. We sell it at Tactical SHT. ReadyWise Foods. You can buy like these five-gallon buckets. Uh, It's basically one step up from MREs, Meals Ready to Eat. Uh, these five-gallon buckets that you can, uh, you know, sur- store in your attic or in your basement or in your garage, and they can feed, you know, a family of three for up to sixty meals or something like that. It's probably not bad to have one of those around, something like that, just in case. A lot of people are saying the next pandemic is going to be a food shortage. That's the way they're going to get us next. It does appear. That there are some mo- there's some things in play to to cause that globally. <clears throat> They're shutting down farms. They're causing all kinds of problems in the supply chain, the food supply chain globally. So you know, are you ready for that? Are you ready for not being able to get any beef? Oh, trust me, you're you're still going to be able to get meat. It's just going to be that fake veggie meat that. Uh, Gates wants you to get. Bill Gates. Remember the guy that made Microsoft? Billionaire? One of the oligarchs that run this country? He is currently the largest landowner in America. He has been buying farmland like there's no tomorrow. Because he's heavily invested in this soy and veggie-based you know, fake meat that they're now... Basically, the federal government is requiring fast food joints sell. Why would they they require that? Um, I I refuse to eat that crap. You know, number one, a diet rich in soy is going to turn you into a woman. 
because it boosts your estrogen, which defeats your testosterone. And testosterone is what we need to survive the fight. Be back after this. We'll keep talking about being prepared, not scared, ready, not ridiculous. Well, we're talking about being prepared, not scared, ready, not ridiculous. What's that mean? Ready, not ridiculous. You know, I think it's ridiculous to have six months worth of food, you know, but some people might not. I think it's, you know, it'd be ridiculous to have 100,000 rounds of ammunition. Uh, It's kind of ridiculous that I own so many guns. I don't need them all. They're not part of being prepared. It's just a collection. It's an addiction. But I do have certain guns that are part of my prepared, part of my my plan, plans, whatever you want to call it, my self-defense array. Let's talk about that since this show is predominantly about firearms. You know, how much ammo do you need? How many guns do you need? You know, my my neighbors always joke. My friends always joke. When uh, when it hits the fan, I'm coming to your house. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Maybe a couple of you, but that's it. Um, you really only need enough guns that you can use reliably, right? So if you're a sing, you know, you're one person. You need a, a good handgun. You need a good shotgun. You need a good a good AR platform. And, uh, you know, it probably doesn't hurt to have a good long-range rifle as well. That way you've got a tool for each, you know, it's like having your toolbox. you got a hammer, you got a pliers, you got a crescent wrench, you got a Phillips head, you got a flathead. Each tool is for a different job. So each, you know, you have guns that are for different jobs. If you're going to build a gun collection on a budget, I recommend doing one with being prepared in mind. You know, have a 22. 22s are great for hunting. You know, they're great for practicing, honing your marksmanship skills without spending so much money on ammo or expending, you know, let's say ammo supply dries up. Last year was a was, you know, scary. Now there's surplus ammo everywhere, but you know, if ammo dries up because something happens in the world tomorrow, you know, do you have enough ammo? So let's say you've got your you got your 22 maybe a pistol and a rifle you've got your 9 millimeter handgun or your 40 or your 45 some sort of self defense capable round we're not talking 380s gentlemen leave that to the women you've got your 5.56 or 223 if you've got a wussy barrel you've got your uh, 308 for your heavy gun you know your long range gun or a 65 creedmoor or something like that I like 308 because it's a NATO round. There's lots of it around if you ever need to scavenge it, you know, 308. If if you're trying to scavenge 65 Creed more good luck. Um and uh so we've got oh, and your 12 gauge, you know. On 12 gauge, you should have birdshot, probably turkey loads, and then uh some anti-personnel stuff, some double aught buck, some slugs. Slugs can be used for deer as, as well. So let's say you have that array, right? You've got your 22s, you got your 9, you got your rifle, your AR-15, you got your 308 bolt-action rifle, you've got your 
12-gauge shotgun? How much ammo do you need to be prepared of each of those things? I have a general rule of thumb. I think at least a minimum of 1,000 rounds of each of those things, with a couple caveats, I think 500 rounds of 308 would would suffice because you're not going to shoot a thousand rounds of 308. So I think you'd have a you know let's say 5,000 rounds of 22. If you're writing this 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 recipe down, 5,000 rounds of 22, at least a thousand rounds of nine millimeter, and I would have both full metal jacket and I would have hollow points or Fort Scott TUIs. For your 5.56, I would have at least 1,000 rounds. I would probably have 1,000 rounds of 55 grain M193, and I would have 1,000 rounds of M855 ball green tip 62 grain lap. That's the stuff you shoot the bad guys with. 308, like I said, 500 rounds, and then we get to the 12 gauge. You know, I'd have at least a couple cases of birdshot. I'd have a couple cases of waterfowl. I would have a couple cases of turkey loads. And then I'd have at least a case of double out buck and maybe a couple boxes of slugs. We have a caller who's, oh, we don't, we don't. He fell off the line. I guess he didn't want to hold. Sorry about that, buddy. I was in the middle of a deep thought, giving you the recipe for ammo supply. So that is how I would prepare with the, uh, with the weapons, you know, anything more than that, you know. Obviously, if you're a three-gun shooter, you're going to want to want more of certain calibers. If you if you're a sporting shooter of any kind, you may need more than that. But that that's what I would say would be your bare minimums as far as types of guns, number of guns to own, and number and 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 number of rounds of ammunition to have for each gun. As far as like water and stuff, like I said, you know, I got a I've got a spring, but uh, and I've also got a well. And my well water is delicious. Um, but because I'm in the country, I don't, my well is based on electricity. What if the electric goes out? What if Russia or some other nefarious actor sets off an EMP over the United States and we lose our electricity? This is something that I am concerned about all the time and I'm still in the process of dealing with. I need a generator, I need a generator and a fuel source. So I was looking at generators that I could actually run with natural gas, but I thought, okay, but what if the natural gas is disrupted? Then I need a generator that not only runs on natural gas, but also runs on diesel fuel. Because I could steal that out of the trucks at the truck stop down at Forestell. (laughs) Not that I would actually do that. I forgot, in this country, you're guilty of crimes that you think about doing, even if it's a joke. So that is something I'm concerned with right now, is the loss of power. The loss of electricity. And how do I, you know, because if I lose power, I lose my well. Right? So now I, ha- now I have to fall back to that spring. You know, which means I'm going to have to go traipsing through the woods and fill in bottles with spring water. It's doable. You know? Another thing, if you have the property, you should be considering gardening. This is something I don't do. Uh, I would love to. My property is really not set up for it. A lot of flood ground. Um, but gardening is the new revolution. You know, if you want to do what the government doesn't want you to do, hunt, learn to hunt, hunt your own food, go kill some deer and, you know, and, and grow your own veggies. Hell, if you've got the property, get some egg laying chickens. 
probably fun. I don't know. The sound of that music means that my show's over. Hopefully, I made you think a little bit today. Maybe we'll talk about this a little bit further tomorrow because I know we didn't touch all the bases. Just remember, it's your right to be armed. It's your duty to be mentally and physically prepared for the fight. This.